for 30 years and so I stood by her and walked that path as well. Um, Bottom line, if you're new to the show, Alzheimer's Speaks is an advocacy-based company providing multiple platforms to shift caregiving um, from crisis to comfort around the world. We really believe that by having open and honest conversations and connecting people to resources that they're going to be able to live more fulfilled lives and that goes for Uh, both of the person diagnosed and their families as well. I know as a daughter, I was very frustrated in terms of not knowing what to do and not being able to find tools and and, um, resources to assist us um, with my mom's dementia. And so that's really why I started Alzheimer's Speaks. We also um, help companies expand their brand footprint by leveraging our content and our audience so that we can connect their product services and tools to the people in need. And I would be amiss if I didn't thank our listeners. You see your likes, your clicks, your shares, your loyalty to our radio show, our blog, the website, the YouTube channel, um, even keynotes and and trainings out in the community. Um, It's been like no other. I, I never imagined that we would be connecting people around the world. Initially, I thought, well, you know, I'll just dab my toe in this and see if I could do something in my own area. But everyone has worked so collaboratively together, and I I really appreciate it. So I hope that you'll continue to like and click and share because there's people in your sphere of influence on Facebook or Twitter or LinkedIn or even family and friends that are dealing with this and aren't talking about it. And the more information we can get to them, the easier it's going to be for them to chime in and and pick up what they need when they need it. Now, you can also call in today and ask any questions or make any comments at 323-870-4602. That's 323-870-4602. And you can always go to alzheimerspeaks.com. That's our main website. Um, Don't forget to check out our initiatives and projects page. Um, We would love to, uh, we would love to talk with you. Now, before I introduce our guest today, I'm going to give a shout out to a couple of organizations. And the first one I want to holler out to is Dementia Action Alliance. They're going to do their second North American Dementia Conference in Atlanta, Georgia, June 20th through the 22nd. And it's all about reimagining dementia, repositioning it, it, um, getting people engaged, empowered, and enabled. And they are going to have a lot of speakers, actually, that have dementia. And with their first conference, uh, people were 
really thrilled to hear the voice of people with dementia. They just learned so much from them. The other organization I want to mention is the Women's Alzheimer's Movement, which is Maria Schreiber's. Um, She also does Move for the Minds in the Summer. Um, She is just doing spectacular work in this space, and you can learn more about her at the Women's Alzheimer's Movement dot org. Now let me go ahead and introduce our guest today. I am um, really excited about having this conversation because we're going to be talking about preserving those rich life stories and being able to pass that on to family and friends. Um, Dennis Stack is the co-founder of the Living Legacy Project. And their mission is to preserve the life lessons and values of family elders for the benefit of future generations. And I think this is something personally that is really lacking and we really need to focus on this because there's just so much to learn from our elders. Over the last 15 years, the Legacy Talk interview method has been used in over 800 hospice memory care, and home care, assisted living, and veterans communities. Dennis has trained more than 5,000 care providers um, to record legacy talks for loved ones and families that they serve. So welcome, Dennis. How are you doing today? Very good, and thank you, Laurie, for uh, making this possible. Well, I am, I'm thrilled to have you here, and, and Dennis is so kind. He, he has a family of four dogs, and he's put himself in the garage for a little quiet space with us <laughs> down, down in Arizona, but I have to say I'm not feeling too sorry for him because it's about 60, and I'm looking out to my neighbor's roof that has about a foot of snow on it, and it's still coming down, and we're in the 20s. So, um, so again, Dennis, I appreciate you uh, taking the time out to, to talk with us today. Now, one of the questions I always ask all of our listeners before I kind of get into the full line of questioning is, um, what um, have you been touched in your own family by dementia or, or circle of friends? Uh, yes, uh, absolutely. That's the case. And that was uh, very much uh, the inspiration for me to do what I'm doing today, though I never envisioned it to evolve the way it has. But yes, my my own mother was uh, diagnosed and suffered and died uh, with Alzheimer's. Okay. And, and how, how many years did she live with the dentist? Uh, I guess in in light of uh, what you'd mentioned earlier, it was reasonably short. It was only four years, but uh, even a day is is too many. Yep, I agree. I agree. And my mom just happened to be very, very aware of it. The first um, 10 years, she was misdiagnosed and was told that it was um, her hormones. And then then they changed that opinion and said, you know, she's got the mentality of a three-year-old, so um, things had really changed there. Why don't you tell us about the Living Legacy Project? We're getting a little bit of echo, and I'm not quite sure if you're on speakerphone, if that's what's doing it. Um, But um, if you can tell us about the Living Legacy Project and how it got started. Okay, I'll try uh, talking straight into my handset here instead of my earbud. Okay. 
Um, well, the Living Legacy project got started. Uh, I guess I need to back up further than that. Uh, I'm I'm the fifth of six children. My mother and father, my father in particular, was a very private man and never spoke about the day before, much less any experiences he had earlier in his life. And, you know, when you're a kid growing up, if parents don't want to talk about something, kids are pretty quick to learn not to ask. And such was the case in my situation. And, you know, I I moved on with my own life and grew up and got married and along the way, my father passed at the age of 78 uh, quietly in his sleep two years before my only daughter was born. And with his passing, I, of course, mourned and regretted the fact that I knew so little about my father. But I consoled myself knowing that I could always ask my mother. And, of course, way leads on to way and never have those kind of conversations and so Two years after his passing, my daughter was born, and two years later, my mother had been on a uh, a sojourn, if you will, of visiting each of us six kids uh, for two months at a time. And, of course, me being in Arizona, I was a January-February child. And as luck would have it, my daughter's a Valentine's baby, so she has a birthday coming up here shortly. But uh, when she arrived for my daughter's second birthday, her flight had gotten in early, and when I went to meet her, she was in the company of a skycap, and she didn't really know where she was or who she was here to see. And as much as my siblings and I would communicate with each other you know, before my mother would arrive, no one had caught on to that. She, she had uh, masked her, her growing condition from my siblings, and was on full display when I picked the airport, and that turned into a very difficult visit. And she did not return the next year. She, uh, uh, We siblings got together and decided uh, my sister in upstate New York, her husband is the president of the hospital, it was the best place for her to be, and she received tremendous care. But that year later, when I went to visit and see her, it was... Uh, it was traumatic for me. It was. It looked like my mother. It sounded like my mother, but she wasn't there. Mm-hmm. And it was on that long flight home that the self-recriminations just came flooding into me, all the things I could have and should have done and didn't. And one thing I learned from that episode is that uh, of all the things we do, it's the things we don't do, and particularly... Regret is for a lifetime. And so, you know, after I got past my own mourning in that situation, I, I just started to think and realize that it, I'm not alone, that there's countless thousands of other people who have and will suffer the same fate that I, I, I experienced. And, and it bothered me to the point that I wanted to do something about it. And that's that's actually where Legacy Stories got started. Uh, it was, uh, you know, a desperate search to find an answer. Wow. You know, I, th- I think you're you're not alone in terms of being a family member and, and seeing things progress or not 
recognizing they're progressing and and uh, travel can can cause symptoms to really progress faster too. So that had to just be um, a devastating a devastating time for for you and your family. I can totally totally understand that. So um, so really, your your parents uh, were really your inspiration um, to push this project forward. How did you how did you come up with the the plan to kind of piece, you know, the legacy project together. How, where did you start? Well, uh, this was a different day and age. This was uh, way back in the last century in 1998. I, uh, I wrote a little handbook. Um, I, I was, uh, at the time in my life, I was a financial advisor. I worked with families, helping them to plan you know how they would transition the wealth they accumulated from one generation to the next and i recognized that that one of the most important elements of a family was missing you know that we were passing on the valuables and ignoring the values and so you know that that year um, you know i was uh, thinking what to give my clients to thank them for the patronage and i just kept you know, coming up with blanks, and then I, I realized that, you know, that there was something more valuable than a, a bauble, you know, a Montblanc pen or a nice bottle of wine. I wanted something that would make a difference, so I created uh, a, a Capturing Life Stories handbook, which was a collection of a couple hundred questions organized in different categories, and I included that handbook with a you know the the old fashioned shoebox cassette recorder because that was state of the art at the time <laughs> and i sent it i sent it to clients with with a, a christmas card that said you know um oh gosh I'm just blanked on what i said oh that uh that there's things that matter more than money and uh, this holiday season save what matters most Mm-hmm. So to that end, uh, they they received these gifts from me, and I got calls from every single one. And you know, many in the past had called to say thank you in a cursory sense for whatever gift I'd given. But I could tell that this touched their hearts in a way that I'd never even intended or imagined. And wow. that's kind of how it started. Well, and what a way to differentiate yourself from everybody else doing the same line of work. I mean, it just uh, that would have just melted my heart and say this this guy gets this guy gets me. He gets my family. What's important? And I know we need to take care of this business, but and, and sometimes we get so busy doing the business that we forget about those frail connections that you know can be lost if we're not on top of them. So. Um, Good for you. That's that's absolutely fantastic. And you were doing this not just for people who were dealing with dementia, but just all your clients that were were aging. Uh, I did. In fact, um, one of the things I guess I'm backing up again. Uh, hospice had intervened in, before my father passed, and there was uh, one uh, chaplain at the hospice who spent a lot of time with my father and. And that's true with everyone facing the end of their days. They, they, there's lots of closure that's needed. And 
the past, uh, the chaplain encouraged my father to contact each of his children and share just one story. And the story that he chose to share with each of us, uh, and I know from the call that I had, was the moment in my life with him that he was most proud. And he shared a story that of a moment that I had completely forgotten about, that you know, disappeared in a memory hole for me. And when he told me the story of that moment, it came back in crystal clarity. And, you know, this phone call lasted probably no more than five minutes. It came in the middle of a busy day for me. They were always busy and I was always on the phone. But I took that call and, as it turns out, that was the last call, the last conversation I had with my father. But him having shared a moment that he felt proud. And this was a man who, who never, ever praised any of us kids for anything. Wow. It, it, it changed everything for me as far as how I felt about him. And I recognized right then that the power of just one story can be so, so impactful. Mm-hmm. That what if, you know, what if we, we had more than just one story? What if we had a, a whole collection of stories that yeah. you know, the, the power that that can deliver. And so uh, the first place I went with, with my Capturing Life Stories kit was to hospice because they have, well, because of the gift they gave me, but more importantly that they have hundreds of thousands of volunteers who spend time uh, with the patient and most of it just kind of sitting by the bedside, but there are those moments when the patient is lucid and the drugs have receded enough. And the thing most people want to do at the end of their days is validate their life. They want to share their experiences with someone. Mm-hmm. And so I sought to train those volunteers on how to conduct an actual uh, end-of-life interview, if you will, and to preserve it on those cassette tapes. And that oh, work that's... was... It was really, really well received, and it uh, went like wildfire. And that's, you know, where we ended up working with over 800 hospices, and we would do uh, conference calls with PowerPoints, and in front of, uh, you know, a couple dozen here and a dozen there volunteers, and reached out in that way. And at this point, I have no idea how many thousands of people were helped, but I just know that it did make a make a difference, and that mattered to me but oh for sure that that being said there there's still far too many more that needed to be reached and that's where the uh the living legacy project was born and i i knew i could not carry the ball myself and subsequently i made connections and contacts with people who, who who heard the message and wanted to help and as of this moment, I've got more than 42 partners in different industries that have uh, committed, in fact, many what they're doing with me to be a calling. Mm-hmm. And that is something, you know, that rises above other issues in life. I and, agree. Uh, so, so today, the Living Legacy Project is dedicated to helping families capture the living history, the life experience, the wisdom, the insight, and the values of their loved ones. 
uh, while they're still with us. That's wonderful. Um, can you tell us in terms of um, your your partnerships, uh, how does that how does that work? Um, are, are these companies or are these individuals? And you know, how do people well, get involved with this? Well, it's both companies and individuals. Uh, in fact, all companies are made of individuals, but and we all have families, we all have loved ones. I mean, this is a subject that that really touches everyone's life. And so, my my goal has been to try and you know get the word out and work with different uh, organizations. As I mentioned, hospice. Uh, after that, we reached out to home care because. Uh, the really sad part is that when it gets to hospice, it's almost too little, too late. So we, you know, we went down that aging ladder to home care and then up to assisted living and skilled nursing and tried to inculcate uh, the professionals in those fields as to our protocols and our processes and, and to keep it as simple as possible to just get people doing something. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, more recently, I went back to my own roots in the wealth management field, working with estate planning attorneys and financial planners, because one of the things I've discovered along the way is uh, you can make the best plan, you can make it so simple to do, yet it still doesn't get done. I mean, you mm-hmm. know, there's, you know, when I first started doing this, I'd get pushed back from the subjects themselves saying, you know, I'm too old, you know, I never did anything interesting, nobody wants to hear my story. I mean, all the self-deprecating you can imagine. But once I burned through that, and oh, and then, you know, ego, you know, they didn't want to seem egotistical in doing this. And I told them it has nothing to do with your ego. It's your duty. If you care mm-hmm. about your future generations, if if you care about their their welfare, then you'll tell your story. And those of that generation recognize duty, and and that would make a big difference. But with all that aside, uh, the problem is procrastination. I mean, I can talk till I'm blue in the face. I can get concurrence from everyone I talk to about how important this is to do. And they'll say, Dennis, you know, you're absolutely right. I really need to do this, and I'm going to get right on this tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And then invariably something comes up, and it just doesn't happen. And so yeah. what we're doing now is uh, well, we're working with professionals because by working with another person, and in my case I was a financial professional, and if somebody trusted me enough to manage their family's entire net worth, uh, the, the trust goes much farther. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I felt like I was being cast as a cross between a, a psychotherapist and a marriage counselor. But uh, the, the point is, is that they, there needs to be an accountability. And if they're professional advisors or people that, that matter to them, bring this to them. There becomes an accountability chain. It's not just dependent on this one person deciding or not deciding to take action. They're they're answerable to someone, and so mm-hmm. we we call those legacy coaches. And, and that's 
one way we see that we're actually making progress now because it's not just left to the the, the whims of the subjects to do it for themselves. We want to get other people involved. Well, and that makes some sense because, like you said, we you know we're a society that procrastinates because we all have way too much on our plate to do and are feeling pressured. And then when you have to learn something new, a lot of times it will it'll go to the bottom of the stack. Where if there's someone who's used to the format and used to you know learns how to draw people out and how to capture those stories, that makes a lot an awful lot of sense. Um, yeah. When There was something else I discovered along the way, and Mm -hmm. this is true of all of us. I mean, we we all reminisce, and reminiscing is tremendously therapeutic. You you hear a song, it reminds you of a first date. Uh, You smell something, it reminds you of mom's cooking. But these flights into reminiscence are so, so fleeting, and then we're back into everyday life. And one thing almost nobody ever does is reminisce with purpose. And one of the the, the mechanisms we've created is uh, we, we call them uh, uh, well, reminiscing with purpose. We, we provide memory prompts once a week and we ask one question. They're innocuous questions, something along the nature of what was your favorite subject in school? And what we found is that when people go through a structured reminiscence, uh, they discover something about themselves because the way we structure the questions takes them on their own self-guided path through their own life experiences, their own defining moments. And at a certain point throughout through, through the, the Q&As, they connect dots and and it's like a light bulb goes off. They have an epiphany and they recognize how and why they got where they are and who they got to be. And mm-hmm. it, it takes on a whole new meaning then. And then then also, we also discovered that each of us in our own lives, we share our stories and our life experiences very discriminately. Discovered that with veterans, I mean, veterans who had seen action are are loath to talk about their wartime experience with their loved ones, but you put them in a bar with a fellow vet and a pitcher of beer and a bowl of pretzels, and it's like rapid-fire stories. <laughs> so yep. so what ha- what's important is that that this is not just person with another one person. This is something that each member of the family and their relationship with the subject, their friends, the professionals they work with, they all have a place because, like I say, we share our stories discriminately. To get a good 360, we need to have different people engaged in the process. And they all need to be working from the same hymn book, if you, if you will. Mm-hmm. Well, that, that makes sense. Um, and I think, like you said, setting up the scene so that there's comfort. And I would imagine that the questions are pretty open-ended, so there is no right or wrong answer, which can be intimidating to people. It's just letting them um, tell their story freely, how they remember it. Yeah, and then something else that I think is important, and I mentioned this to you on the, the pre-call, was that 
in, in our country today, family is different than it was when I was young. I mean, when I was young, extended families were the norm, and you would have multiple generations gathered around the table at least once, if not more, per week. And children, children as they're growing, they're, they're on a quest to find out who they are to determine who they'll become, and they learned by example. They learned by witnessing the adults at the table discussing the day's events and their reactions to it, and that helped to you know, make them who they are. But today, fast forward, we're predominantly a nuclear family nation, two-income, single-parent, grandparents living in you know, an assisted living, very often out of state, and and as much as we, we talk more with the cell phones and the FaceTime and all the rest, it's not the same as being physically present. And so what what we've tried to do in this process is, you know, we can't snap our fingers and push push ourselves back to the way families used to be. We have to work with what we have today. And today, uh, children, I mean, Everybody has a smartphone, and particularly the children. Yeah, I think my daughter had her surgically attached to her hand because I've never seen it not in her hand. <laughs> uh, but they're, they're incredible tools. And so one of the things we did is we created the, uh, well, the, the Legacy Stories smartphone app, which is incredibly simple. And on those rare occasions when the grandchildren do visit Grandma, her life is recorded. She has her own Facebook. It's a photo album. But the problem is, is that photo album is analog and it doesn't speak to anyone. You shared with me your, your own you know, story of, of the album that you inherited and how it, it didn't speak to you. Mm-hmm. Well, with the smartphone app and with the children's expertise in using it, when they go to visit their grandparents, instead of it being an awkward moment, let them work with grandma. Encourage her to take out her, her photo album and and the children with the with the smartphone app, they can take pictures, essentially a digital scan of the photos in grandma's album with just one click. The next click they can crop and manipulate it. The third click they hand that device and it can be anything, an iPad, a tablet, a phone. But she's looking at an image from her life, a defining moment, let's say her wedding photo. And when she sees that image, it stimulates a reminiscence of that moment in time. And she simply just starts talking about it. Who was in the picture, what made that moment special. And the app captures that oral narrative. And it marries it with that photo. And... In our case, after a lot of testing, we decided to limit the recording time to three minutes, and certainly not because Grandma couldn't talk for considerably longer, but but I'm very concerned that the, the intended audience actually hear the story start to finish. And mm-hmm. too often, if you do videotapes of an hour-long talking head, people tune out after a few minutes. And the message and the benefit is lost, so... In this case, by capturing these stories, you know, these tiny little vignettes, and they can be done serially. You could go through the whole photo album. Once they're captured on that phone and uploaded to Grandma's encrypted archive and legacy stories, 
they're there for perpetuity. And it's no longer slave to being, you know, dependent on somebody remembering the story and trying to retell it because, you know, it's the phone game we had as kids. You whisper something to one person's ear, the next, the next, the next, and it comes out corrupted at the end. In this case, the first telling is always the same telling. And okay. Hopefully so, somewhere. So when when I'm people sorry. are recording this, um, you had mentioned about taking a picture of the photo and then um, recording that being an audio. Can you do video too? Where they have a, a you know a, a video recording of Grandma talking, or maybe that's what you were referring to. I just want to clarify for our audience. Uh, video is is okay, but uh, some some of the problems I I have had or experienced with video is that when people know they're on camera, uh, they get self conscious. You know, does my hair look okay? Do I have food stuck in my teeth? And and it distracts from it by having the subject grandma in this case looking at a photo from her life. It keeps her locked in that moment. It it allows her to reminisce with no distractions. Okay, and, that that makes perfect sense. Makes perfect sense um, because a lot of people are very self conscious. I think the younger generations probably won't be <laughs> with all the selfie taking that they do. Um, but but I think a lot of people are, are very um, self-conscious of, of being filmed. I know for myself, I don't even like ha- having pictures taken. I just don't, I don't, I don't like that process myself. But, um, you know, so everyone deals with that a, a little bit differently. Um, one of the things on your site that I um, like that you have listed is you have eight reasons to tell your legacy stories. And you talk about um, connecting with, with family which we don't really do in depth anymore. We've uh, so many families I think have gotten so superficial or you know don't even sit down to dinner together and, and my family is right there with them because we're running 12 different directions. Um you talk about inspiring younger generations. And I think that can be from their kids to their grandkids to great-grandchildren. There's so many opportunities to share those stories and really get those aha moments going and in connection. Um, You talk about sharing life lessons, you know, things that maybe they did that they wish they would have done differently or that they did. And boy, I learned this and this worked really well or this, not so much. (laughs) Um, Those are, those are fabulous things to be able to pass on. Um, You also talk about, preserving culture, you know, and we have uh, so much um, cultural um, differentiation these days. And I think that that's really important. You know, you you hear many cultures coming over and then they're like, oh, they've been Americanized now, you know. And and so knowing some of those rituals or meanings um, within a culture, I think is really important. Um, to record. You also have about, oh, maybe someone's going to decide they're going to write a, a memoir, you know, of of their life or of somebody in their family because it's of interest or leaving a legacy. Uh, I, this comes to mind for me with um, with my mother's funeral. 
we had so many people come to her funeral who had never met her. You know, they were there for the family and then given the work that I did when she passed. Um, uh, There were just so many people there that didn't know her. But what we were able to do um, through her celebration of life was to tell stories so that they walked out feeling that they knew her. And I mean, people came up and said, I've never been to a funeral like this. I, I feel like I know your mom. And that, uh, you know, as a daughter, that felt really, really good. But as people participating um, for them, it was, it was really kind of fun and healthy and, um, and a beautiful thing. You know, it wasn't kind of the doom and gloom and the loss. It was really the joy and the celebration of of life. Um, And then the the last two you have about telling their story and and being able to tell it like it is. And and I think that that's important to um, get all the political, you know, crap or or, um, hierarchy stuff out of the way, the bureaucracy, and just say, well, this is, this is the way the story really went down. This is how it felt to me. I think that that's just such a cleansing of the body for the person telling the story, and it's such a gift for anyone receiving that story um, to hear hear that authenticity and that um, that honesty coming through. Well, well, uh, I, I I applaud everything that you say. In fact, when you reference the funeral and the the different people who were connected to the deceased life telling their story is very much resembles what I was talking about, how there's so many different people that we interact with, that we connect with throughout our lives that, that have tiny little snippets of, of who we are. And it's the collection, the combination of all those that matter. In fact, Mm -hmm. uh, one of our partners is in the funeral industry and, and a staple in that industry for decades now has been what they call a tribute video, which is a, a slideshow of photos from the deceased life set to their favorite music. And uh, they're starting to come around to utilizing the, the talking photos that we've, we've developed, wherein instead of it being just a, you know, a, a slideshow set to music, it's a slideshow of the defining moments of the deceased life as told by the deceased in their own mm-hmm. voice. And it's yeah. so, so important and impactful. And, and, and then to your, your point about the culture and traditions, uh, again, family matters. And when it comes to our children, you know, they're on a search to know who, who they are and how they fit into the world. And, if they don't have that baseline, that, that point of reference that identifies them as a unique part of a continuum within a unique group known as their family, then you know they have no anchor. They have no place to go to when, well, when the sands of the social world start shifting. And unfortunately, too often today, those identities that are developed are not from the family. They're from social media. They're from our entertainment. They're from the peer groups. And, and it, uh, you know, it leaves all those children defenseless in times of crisis. Yeah. So if we can preserve those unique qualities, the, the cultural heritage of these families, the 
unique experiences, essentially the, I, we call it the family narrative, the who we are, where we came from, how we got here, and very importantly, what we stand for. Mm-hmm. And if we can provide that, that nugget of knowledge to our children, they'll be so much better for it. In fact, uh, in our Legacy Cafe podcast, we interviewed a professor from Emory, and he and another professor did a study called the Do You Know Scale. They came up with a list of 20 questions that were all about family, but they were questions that the children themselves could have never witnessed. They would have had to learn this by somebody telling them. And out of these 20 questions, they found that those children who knew the answers to 15 or more of those 20 questions demonstrated extremely resilient personalities, high levels of self-esteem and confidence. Isn't that interesting? And so, well, it goes back to being able to have a base, you know, a baseline identity that's immutable, that you know who you are and where you came from, what you stand for, so -hmm. that when moments of conflict arise, you have a reference point. Yep. Yeah. Well, it's really, it, it truly is a grounding rod. Like you said, it, it just, it, it stabilizes you in who you are, where you came from, what you're about. Um, It's yeah. I, I, I think it's a very, very important base for people to, to be able to have. And, and even with their lifestyles today, you know, like you said earlier, families aren't what they used to be. I mean, they're structured so differently and um, and they don't seem to be as big of priority um, or, or maybe it's just I'm old school in in terms of the way the way it used to be and I'll, I'll be I'm pushing 60 here and and I still remember like when stores weren't open on Sunday and that was family day and nobody batted an eye you know, and now it was like, yeah. what do you mean the stores were closed on Sunday? It's like, yeah, nothing was open on Sunday. You went to church and you hung out as a family and you did your chores or you had a gathering, but that was that was downtime, you know, and I, I think that's really missed. I, I think it's missed um and affected people's lives more than they'll than they'll ever know because we yeah. won't slow down. Yeah, in fact, uh, you know, I know I'm overgeneralizing here, but we all go through, uh, well, let's just call it three different phases of our lives. When we're young, we're searching for an identity and learning important life skills. When we mature, we transition into the role of providers, which is where most of us spend most of our lives. And our self-esteem is tied to how well we perceive ourselves to be providers. But at a certain point in time, you know, as we age, we become too old to harvest the crop or hunt the beast. And and for for their self-esteem, they need to transition to something. And in older societies, if somebody was fortunate enough to live long enough, they got promoted to be the sage council, the chief of the tribe. They They were respected for their life experience, their insight, and their wisdom. And they found their self-esteem, the validation for their existence in becoming a teacher and sharing what they've learned. And, you know, if you look at our, our, our 
or makeup today, we provide incredibly great care for our elders, medically and dietary-wise, but we're robbing them of the one thing that gives them purpose, and that's sharing their stories. And so to that end, that's what we're hoping will be one of the outcomes. when, When the grandchildren visit grandma, engaging in a legacy talk with them casts her into the role that nature intended. It, it mm-hmm. allows her to share her experience, to teach her her descendants the things that she learned in life. And in the process, it validates her existence. And it essentially it recreates the role of, of the elder teaching the young at their knee. And only in this case, instead of it being a story told once and retold again and again and again, in this case, it's told the first time and it's kept forever. And, well, I I also believe that uh, when it comes to memory care and and, and the degradation that comes through dementia and Alzheimer's, the sooner and the more we can engage our loved ones in the the act of telling these stories, the more they use it, the less they'll lose it. I know that's a bad analogy, but... (laughs) yeah. Tying into that, that purpose is huge um, and making people feel like they still have something to give, you know, and, and to be honored for uh, and respected for what it is they have to offer. I, I think it's very sad how we have lost that honor for our elders. You know, it doesn't seem to be a you know, respected place that anybody wants to go. I mean, everyone's still trying to be young and trying to figure out how to not get old, <laughs> you know, <laughs> these days. And, and um, you know, instead of aging gracefully and, and looking at every, you know, wrinkle or line as a lesson learned or a life story engraved. And uh, I, I, it's just, it's, I find some humor in it sometimes watching how, you know, people talk about aging and yet they're they're trying to defy it so much. And um, I I don't see, I just don't see anything wrong with, with uh, going to that next level. And I hope that I continue on that path and still, you know, not try to run from it, but engage it. I, I found great freedom in, you know, when I turned 50 and when I turned 60 this summer, I'm hoping to find a little more, you know, but because of the lessons that you've learned and the things that you've learned that, you know, it, it don't spend your time worrying about this stuff because all you're going to do is worry, but it's not going to be productive. Instead, maybe spend your time over here doing something that's really going to matter and really going to make a difference. And, you know, kind of stand stand your own ground. And I think with parents and families, aunts and uncles and and so forth, there's so many great stories that we don't hear because, you know, they're not, it might not be something that you'd tell your child or you would never want them to know that you did that back in the day. But then they become adults and we still don't share those stories. And I remember hearing a few about my folks and, and oh my gosh, we just laughed. You know, and I mean, I've got some of those stories, too. I wouldn't tell my daughter till she was older because I'm trying to tell her not to drink and do different things and stuff. But, you know, we all made mistakes and it's OK to have those conversations and 
and and learn that they're human too, and that they weren't always well, and, perfect. And sometimes more can be learned from a failure or a bad experience than a positive story. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> yep. I, yeah, I would I would definitely resonate with that. I've I've learned a lot through other people's mistakes. Just you know, tucking that away, going, "Yep, I don't want to do that." Uh, and not everybody uh, yeah. does that, or or considers that being a life lesson or something substantial that could impact their lives, and and then they relive those lessons themselves. But it's nice to at least well, have the ability to share. And and that's. That right there is is my my real hope is that you know we don't know what stories will impact who in what ways, mm-hmm. but it's my hope that uh, somewhere amongst all those stories that that a descendant of mine will find themselves in a time of crisis in their life, and if they just happen upon a story that they recognize that someone else somebody in their own bloodline because knowing something happened in your own family is empowering. It means you can too, mm-hmm. or that it's within your ability to do something. But hopefully, you know, somebody at that time of crisis somewhere down the road will hear that story and it'll make all the difference. Yeah, We just have no way of knowing what story that will be. So mm-hmm. we're compelled to capture as many and all of them that we can, which is, which is really the whole idea behind legacy stories. We've made it uh, free for everyone, and we have gone over the top and continue to do so in helping people do something, anything, Mm -hmm. to get them started. uh, Like I say, the site is free. We're keeping abreast of all the changes in technology with the smartphones and cloud archiving and encrypted accounts and social networking and (laughs) in the the hope that uh, we can use this technology which has enabled families to be farther apart to actually use that same technology to bring us closer together. Yeah, how beautiful is that? Well, and I I think too one of the, the neat things about the Legacy Project is you know, when you're allowing someone to tell their story, you're not judging them. You're not jumping in and correcting them. You're just allowing them to tell their story. And and we don't do that very often. We don't just, we so often judge or jump in or say, no, it happened like this. But just to let them revel in, in their own remembrance of of that story, because each of us are going to remember it a little bit different. I mean, just ask any police officer, and he will tell you he's never gotten the same story twice. There's always a little twist or a turn from how someone perceived it because of their background, their history, you know, what they've been through in life um, is is going to sway it. And it's important that we allow people to to tell their their authentic story and to be able to capture that. Um, how do you feel that this helps families coping with dementia in terms of tapping into this, the legacy project? Uh, well, hopefully, you know, if they can be proactive and get in sooner rather than later, uh, you know, like I say, I mean, 
engaging an elder and asking for their advice, asking to hear their stories is so empowering. It validates their existence. It elevates their self-esteem. It it makes them know that they matter. And, and at the end of everything, you know, in our last moments, you know, and with the case of Alzheimer's and dementia, that, that moment's in many ways robbed. But what we really want to know, the questions that we have that we really need an answer to is, did I make a difference? Did those mm-hmm. that I loved and cared for know how much I loved and cared? And, you know, those are answers they can't find for themselves. They have to share yeah. it with others and hear it reflected back. Well, even when, you know, we were talking earlier, um, you had mentioned about your your dad um, telling you a story about about you, one that you had never heard him speak, one that you had totally forgotten, but what that story did for you and how it resonated with you and, you know, just that, that feeling of, you know, of, of love and connection that, gosh, that was, that was the moment that made a difference and I didn't even know it, but now, but now I can, now I can revel in it too. Yeah. And, and sharing that one story of when, when I did something that made him feel proud is now the most important memory I have of my time with my father. And it's something that I'll remember forever. Yeah. How cool is that? So, but yeah, but it all starts with asking a question, and you know it's just four four, four words. Tell me a story, mm-hmm. and and then shutting up and being quiet and letting them do it instead of we have this tendency to to fill dead air when someone's just yeah. maybe trying to figure out which which one should I pick. You know, and yeah. just being comfortable with that silence and letting them letting them tell the story in their own pace. And then, of course, and, you know, capturing it. Yeah, and that the capture is just so important. I mean, we, we all are so blessed with the smartphone technology because it's an amazing device. And so, you know, like I say, these stories that are told from one to another can be you know, with with that phone in their hand can be captured and shared with thousands of others. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And hope, hopefully somewhere, somehow, somewhere down the line, some story will make a difference to somebody that could change the world. Yeah, let's hope so. Let's hope so. Well, Dennis, this has been a great um, discussion. Is there is there any um, last tip or thing that we didn't cover that that we need to share with our audience? Uh, uh, well, we've covered quite a lot, really. If if people would just log on to legacystories.org, create an account, and you'll find a an incredible wealth of information. We've been at this for more than a decade. And while we're not Facebook with the millions and billions of users, we have thousands of users and hundreds of thousands of stories. And there's a a part of Legacy Stories, we call it our public library, where people telling their stories elected to share it with the world. And you can go on there 
and you can click on a photo and hear somebody tell a story. And our mm-hmm. site is replete with all types of of little self-help videos, how to do this, how to do that. Um, you, know, you, you just need to take that first step because without a first step, there can never be a second. But log on to the site. It's completely free. We do not uh, share information. I mean, privacy is very, very big for me, and we do not monetize or share our content with anyone. It belongs to the creators of the content and their families and no one else. Wonderful. And again, that website is LegacyStories.com, LegacyStories.com. .org. It's a .org. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. Yes. I I have it typed wrong. Then I'm going to have to change that on everything because I think I've got .com. So, um, well, well, we do we do have a .com, but it's focused on professionals and how they can use our tools to help their clients. But for for everyone, the the, the site is the legacystories.org is is the main archive and site that has all the questions, ideas, tutoring. I mean. Anything and everything you'd need, as well as uh, we also have something we call the Legacy Concierge, where when people get involved in doing their family history, maybe they want to do genealogy. Maybe they want to have somebody write the story for them or or uh, transcribe or audio record, digitize photo. I mean, there's so many different expertises that can come into play. We've created a directory of professionals who are happy to facilitate. Okay, wonderful. Well, I will definitely get that change to .org on everything that I have. And again, thank you so much for your time today, Dennis. Really appreciate it very much. Um, in wrapping up, I'm just going to give a shout out to the Memory Cafe directory. If you're not familiar with Memory Cafes, they are gatherings with people who are living with the diagnosis of dementia and their care partners. There's over 600 of them now in the U.S., and you can go to www.memorycafedirectory.com. That's memorycafedirectory.com. You can find one in your area, or maybe you have one and just want to get in the list, then you can go ahead and reach out to Calendar Cards, who is the one who hosts that site, and they will help you along with that. Also, if you're interested in helping researchers better understand the needs of those living with dementia and their care partners, please go to the A-list, and you can find that at www.usagainstalzheimers.org forward forward slash networks forward slash A-list. So that's usagainstalzheimers.org forward slash networks, plural, slash um, A-A-list. Thank you so much, and um, for all of your other needs regarding uh, resources and information, please check out alzheimerspeaks.com. That is our main website. Have a wonderful week, everyone. Bye now.
Hi, everyone. This is Meredith from the Senior Fitness with Meredith podcast, where I discuss all things for seniors. From fitness, your health and wellness journeys, how to be all over strong and beyond. I also have my mini podcast called Motivation with Meredith. It's a great, quick, motivational pick-me-up for your days. Join me. Listen now. Search for Senior Fitness with Meredith on your favorite podcast platform.